welcome back to Stereotypically Right. This is Sienna Catherine, and today's episode is called Not All Black Lives Matter because, contrary to the name of the movement, not all black lives matter to the movement. So I'm going to be going over some people who don't matter to the Black Lives Matter movement, but just to preface, no black person really does matter to the movement. It's only if your life can be used to further the narrative to usher in communism does your life matter. If you go against the grain or you're an unborn child, your life does not matter. So some of those people, other than the unborn black children that are murdered senselessly every single day in the womb, those people are Jacob Blake's ex-girlfriend, the jurors on the George Floyd trial, the blacks killed by black gun violence, the almost victim of Micaiah Bryant stabbing, the unborn children who are murdered every single day in the womb at Planned Parenthood, thanks to the ideology of Margaret Sanger. All black people, because I'm going to be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and what they really stand for, and black conservatives. And then I'm going to wrap it up with the faux counter-argument of whataboutism that the left tries to place on people who don't fall for the BLM narrative. And I'm also going to talk about what God has to say about our lives. So let's just get right on into the episode. So for Jacob Blake's ex-girlfriend, my sources are from Fox and the New York Post. I just want to preface this with I tried to find mainstream media news sources that would tell me the truth about these people that I'm going to be going over, but I couldn't. And um, later on, I used ABC as a source, but that was used only once, and it was because it was the only article out of everything I researched that I could really find the true story on these people. The other stories, the other organizations, news organizations, were basically just talking about these people and how they were martyrs and not really talking about how it came to be that they interacted with the police. It was more about highlighting the person that was shot by the police than the victims and the black people that I'm going to be talking about. Long story short, Jacob Blake's ex-girlfriend. So Jacob Blake actually had a warrant out for sexually abusing his ex-girlfriend. And on the day that he was shot, he broke into the home that he had a restraining order on and he sexually abused this woman in front of her children and then he tried to kidnap them. He was left paralyzed after he was shot in the back by police when he has resisted arrest and he had a knife that he was reaching for. He claimed that he dropped the knife and picked it back up, that he wasn't going to use it, but he wasn't thinking rationally given the situation. But when the story broke that he was shot, many news outlets went ahead and assumed that he was an unarmed black player, a black person that they could make a martyr out of. Later on, football players would line the fields with jerseys with his name on them. So when the ex-girlfriend would turn on the news or just turn on a sports program, she might see the name of her, the person who sexually assaulted her and be like, why are these people making a name out of this person who committed such a heinous act against me? Our vice president, or president as Residents Biden likes to call her Kamala Harris, said that she was proud of Jacob Blake, and he visited him at the hospital, but not the woman that he sexually abused. She said the meeting with him was really wonderful, and that he has our support. Well, he doesn't have my support, because I do not support sexual abuse. And this is the same person who sided with Christine Blasey Ford when the hearing for Judge Brett Kavanaugh came about. So I thought we were on the side of believing all women. 
but not when there's the victims of our criminal martyrs for the Black Lives Matter movement. See how much mental gymnastics this takes already, and we're only on the first person. We have a long way to go. So last week, the verdict for Chauvin dropped, and Chauvin is the cop who kneeled on the neck of George Floyd for nine minutes. It was captured on a cell phone video by a private citizen. She was 17 years old. I want to preface this with the fact that I don't believe that he should have done that. There's a lot. I did not completely study this story, but from what I've heard, he was in the police car. He was freaking out. They took him out of the police car. He had handcuffs on. There was no need for Chauvin to put his knee on his neck. Put him on the ground, turn him on his side, and wait for the EMS to get there and aid him. All of this could have been avoided if that's what Chauvin had done. He was convicted of murder and manslaughter. Don't really understand how all that works, um, how you can be convicted of murder and manslaughter because they have two different intents, but I don't believe that he had a fair trial. But I'm going to back up and talk about George Floyd and his victims. He served five years in prison in 2009 for assault and robbery. He held a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach. He's had multiple charges from theft with a firearm and all the way from firearms to drug charges. At the time of his arrest, he was high on fentanyl, but he's hailed a hero and a martyr, and athletes are being used to promote support for him. But what about the pregnant woman that he held a gun to that he threatened that he was going to kill her child? There's no word of her. And what about the people that he robbed? Like, why are we talking about these criminals as if they're heroes when they have victims of their crimes that are the real heroes because they may or may not have survived. And if they didn't survive, then they need to be hailed a hero for the fight that they put up. And if they did survive and they're willing to tell their story, or even if not, then they need to be given more positive attention than these criminals. Just because the criminals were shot by the police, it doesn't make them a hero. And you can't... Actions have consequences. And this person has a lengthy history with the law and in other circumstances he would not be considered a hero just because he was shot by the police he was considered a hero but everything he did leading up to that was not heroic at all so talking about the chauvin trial maxine waters herself called for protesters to stay in the street and get more confrontational but the jury was not sequestered at the time this could have caused a mistrial and chauvin can still appeal because of how her remarks could have swayed the jury. The rioting and the, the looting threats and the previous rioting and looting could have caused an unfair judgment because of the jurors' fears. Candace Owens called it mob justice and the Democrats have enough power to lie and bully to create their own propaganda, and I totally agree. The full police video was not shown to the jury, only the one that was taken on the cell phone minutes before Floyd's death. But if you watch the full video, he could be heard saying he couldn't breathe long before Chauvin was anywhere near him because he was high on drugs. The reason why many of us believe Chauvin was declared guilty was to prevent riots. But earlier, before the verdict even dropped, Antifa and others had already come out saying they were going to burn the city down regardless of the decision. Most people who are hurt by these riots are small black-owned businesses. The protesters usually come from out of town to burn the city down, just because the media has the narrative and they fall for it. An alternate juror, she was white, 
But even though she was white, she still had, she still has a voice. Her voice matters and her opinion matters in terms of the trial. And it was swayed, but she was an alternate juror. She said she was concerned about people coming to her house if they were unhappy about the verdict, but she did say she would have voted Chauvin guilty on some level. The jury itself consisted of nine white people, four black people, and two multiracial people. The pressure that was put on them was that white people have to denounce their whiteness and vote Chauvin guilty, and black people have to quote-unquote act black and have monolithic feelings of oppression, or else they're not black and will be called out of their name. So basically, every juror was pressured to some extent, but the black jurors were more pressured because they had to think in terms of the oppressed black people. And there's pressure on them to act black and conform and be oppressed. And we all, I'm sure any black conservative can tell you how many times they've been called an Uncle Tom or a coon or a house Negro just because they didn't go with the grain. So I really think, and so do many others, that the trial was not fair because of all of the threats and because of the media narrative and the heavy focus that was placed on this trial before. And if it was known that a, a juror voted for Chauvin to be guilty and they were black, we had, like, protesters could be showing up outside of their house, protesters could send them death threats. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to appease the mob rule that we now have. So recently, 15-year-old Micaiah Bryant from Columbus, Ohio, was shot to death by a white police officer, but she was about to stab another black teenager with a butcher knife. When it came out that she was shot and she died, Democrats quickly came to her defense, although she was the one that was about to stab another black girl. Some were quick to assume that she was unarmed, but she definitely was not. If you've seen the clip, you've seen the size of that knife and there's no way to miss it. The girl who was about to be stabbed understood that Micaiah had to be shot because of the conditions. So does the neighbor that released the security camera footage, and so does the neighbor who lived down the street. Ira Graham is the neighbor who lived down the street. He said, I believe in truth and facts. Video doesn't lie. Brinson said, if the officer hadn't done what he did, I think we'd have two girls dead. Very few who have the power have spoken out on the left in defense of a white officer saving a young black girl. That doesn't fit the narrative, but that's what happened. If the police hated black people so much, this officer would have, one, not come and let Micaiah Bryant stab this girl, or two, sat there and watched Micaiah take another girl's life instead of acting in the way that he was trained. The way he was trained was to protect and serve, and he protected this girl from being stabbed to death. That should be the story. I also believe that these stories need to be dealt with on a local level. That's why we have local news stations. These stories do not need to be making national news, especially ones where, in this case, where it was truly justified that this girl had to be shot because another person's life was literally in danger. It was life or death. There was a very quick reaction time that this officer had to take. We have Joy Behar saying that warning shots need to be fired in the air. That can kill more people and that could kill black people if you want to like put race on every single thing. Some people were saying that the knife needed to be shot out of her hand. Um, you're trained to shoot the biggest target, which is the middle of the body. You're not trying to shoot the knife out of the hand. This is not Call of Duty. And some people say shoot the leg. No, again, you're shooting the part of the body that has the biggest mass. And so 
if you die from those injuries, but you were committing a crime, one in which another person could have lost their life, then there's not much else that we can do about that. But I do give props to a Democrat who lives in Florida. I believe the name is Val Demings. She, or he, I'm not sure if it's a girl or boy, this person said that the officer acted in the way that he should have acted. And that's all that needs to be said and we need to move on. Stop making heroes out of these people. But I digress. We'll move on to the next category of black people that don't matter to Black Lives Matter. I used Town Hall and Epic Times for this source. The black people killed by black gun violence. According to Bob Woodson, 82 or more black people have been killed by black people since George Floyd's death. Many of them are children. Just recently, seven-year-old Jaslyn Adams was killed by a black man in the McDonald's drive-thru. According to CBS, this man was 18 years old who shot her. She was in the car with her father, literally in the McDonald's drive-thru, seven years old, probably in first or second grade. And I don't see anybody saying, I should say her name. I don't see any riots for her. 13-year-old Nyara Gibbons was stabbed to death by another 13-year-old girl, according to MLN. And this 13-year-old is being charged with murder, as she should be. But again, I don't see any hashtags saying say her name or any riots in the street for her. Blacks are one-third of Chicago's population, but they commit 80% of the gun crime. 44% of violent crime in L.A., but make up 9% of the population. In St. Louis, less than one-third of the population, but 90% of homicides. And in New York City, three-fourths of all shootings, but 23% of the population. And I also wanted to note that blacks are 13% of the population, but they make up 40 46% of abortions. Again, I don't see anybody rioting in the streets about this, but this is the real issue. These are the real issues. If you are one-third of the population, you should not be making anywhere near 80% of the gun crime. Please address that situation. These are real issues that are plaguing black communities every single day. But we only hear about the ones that involve white cops and black people. Now they now they can be armed. Dana Lash said black knives matter. No, I think it was Laura Loomer. She said black lives matter turned into black knives matter overnight, literally. Because these people are hailing, hailing Micaiah Bryant a hero, even though she was about to stab another black teenager. It's really disgusting. And it shows the hypocrisy of Black Lives Matter that they only choose certain people who matter. But when I said that 13% of the population is the black race, they make up 46% of abortions, Planned Parenthood decided to come out and say that they were going to separate themselves from Margaret Sanger and her racist ideology. But like, not really. So CEO Alexis McGill Johnson wrote an op-ed for the New York Times to try to get ahead of the times and get ahead of, like, to be woke, I guess. And she wanted to pander to those who are woke and uneducated and try to haphazardly right the wrongs of Sanger and Planned Parenthood. She said that they were planning on erasing the bio. The bio of Margaret Sanger has been removed from the Planned Parenthood website, and they're going to rename buildings and awards. But they still provide the largest number of abortions to black people and other racial minorities. That was Margaret Sanger's main mission. So tell me how you're trying to right the wrongs of Margaret Sanger. According to Daily Wire and the Washington Times, they're trying to cancel Sanger and her ties to white supremacy groups and her belief in eugenics. 
Miguel Johnson claims that Planned Parenthood hid behind the fact that Singer's views were a norm for her time period and era, but worked closely with W.E.B. Du Bois. That's classic for saying that she had black friends, but she's still a hardcore racist. And she wasn't a product of her time. She was a racist. You could be a product of your time and not be a racist. They were abolitionists. They were white people. They helped free the slaves. Just like Lincoln. And Miguel Johnson acknowledged Singer's push for forced sterilizations among populations she saw as unfit. Those populations are minorities. She claimed that Singer's main flaw was focusing on white womanhood. Here's a quote from her op-ed. We don't know what was in Singer's heart, and we don't need to in order to condemn her harmful choices. What we have is a history of focusing on white womanhood relentlessly. Whether our founder was a racist is not a simple yes or no question. Our reckoning is understanding her full legacy and its impact. Our reckoning is the work that comes next. Renaming buildings and awards and removing her bio from your site is not reckoning when you're providing the largest number of abortions for black women and other minorities. Johnson also says that Singer remains an influential part of our history and will not be erased. Will not be erased. But as we tell the history of Planned Parenthood's founding, we must fully take the responsibility for the harm that Singer caused to generations of black people and people with disabilities, Latinos, Asian Americans, and indigenous people by providing the largest number of abortions for them. Okay. Planned Parenthood now claims that it's fighting the dehumanization of minorities. And there's a need to reckon with themselves. No. What you need to do is reckon with God and repent of the shed blood on your hands from the millions of unborn children killed mercilessly in your clinics in the name of women's health care. And by the way, 80% of Planned Parenthoods are in minority neighborhoods. Just, just chew on that. Notice how, notice how they, they cover up and rewrite history just to fit their narrative, but they won't actually take responsibility for the real racism that impacts the communities that they pander to. Now, our favorite, the Black Lives Matter movement itself, wants to destroy the nuclear family. Welfare was introduced, which detached income from work, but it also gave women more money if there was no man in the house. So it promoted the broken black family that we see today, and it leaves blacks in poverty. They want to abolish all police and prisons. Abolish all police and prisons. So what would the girl have done who was about to be stabbed by Micaiah Bryan other than die from her stab wounds? This leaves blacks defenseless in communities that need policing. They want to emasculate men. We need strong men. We need men who live out the role God, God intended them to, not feminine men. There's nothing wrong with men. God created men and women, men and women, and we need both equally. Black Lives Matter also pushes abortion as women's health care and that it's liberating for black people. What they really mean is kill your baby, we don't care. God says that life has a value, but we don't care. We, we want you to kill your baby and not feel bad about it. That's what they really mean. And the leaders of Black Lives Matter are trained Marxists and they believe in the redistribution of wealth. What that really means is everybody is equally poor. But oh, by the way, the Black Lives Matter leader bought a $4 million mansion in an all-white neighborhood. But she's oppressed. She uses the funds of her poor, oppressed black people and liberal white people to do so, to buy her mansion. But she doesn't want to live amongst her own people. Kind of like LeBron James, Oprah, Colin Kaepernick, and others. And the Black Lives Matter movement's favorite, and the left's favorite, black conservatives. You mean absolutely nothing. 
to the left at all. We are called Coons, Uncle Toms, and House Ends for going against the grain and not being a victim. We receive death threats, and we're being canceled left and right because our views don't align with the narrative. If you're smart and you speak proper English and have goals for yourself, you're simply acting white and you just want acceptance from white people because you're ashamed of your blackness. No, I just value myself and know my worth, and I know that my skin color has nothing to do with my success or failure. So LeBron James, like I said, Oprah, Colin Kaepernick, and a BLM founder are all living out the lives that they call the Uncle Toms out for. Seriously. LeBron James lives in a huge mansion and makes money for throwing a ball in a hoop. And he's oppressed. And he calls us panders to the white race because we don't want to be victims. But he literally uses his money and his fame to pander to black people because he claims that he's oppressed. They're being racist toward the people of their own race. But they're making money off of white people and they have plenty of opportunities. And they're making money off of black people too. They're making money off of everybody. Their victims are their supporters. And they're promoting propaganda that will hurt average black people. And they don't have to see the effects of it because they're elitists. And they make money off of promoting these ideas. They don't actually care about the issues. If they actually cared about the issues... They would not be signing deals with Nike. They wouldn't be where they are. They would be going into poor neighborhoods. They would be advocating for school choice. They would be outraged about the amount of babies, black babies that are killed every single day, every minute. Because more black babies in New York are killed than born every single year. I think last year was the only year where that didn't happen. If they really cared about the issues you would see a difference in the place where they were advocating for some of these policies that they have such an issue with. You would see a change in the place that they go to to talk about these issues. And you would see a change in the way that they carry themselves and who they associate with. And then there's the beloved faux counter-argument of whataboutism. So basically what people are going to say who disagree with me, who listen to this podcast, I've had it done before, is they're going to say that the names of the people I mentioned and the unborn black babies that are murdered every single day, those are just whataboutism tactics that I'm using. The definition of whataboutism is charging someone with hypocrisy without refuting the actual argument. No. I am telling you what the real issues are that plague the black community. This is something that's pinned on people who speak out about those issues. But it's whataboutism. No. Like... It's really problematic that black people make up 13% of the population and they willingly kill their own children and make up 46% of the abortion rate at Planned Parenthood. It's problematic that these Planned Parenthoods are located in minority communities. It costs money to get an abortion. But you can go to crisis pregnancy centers and get free resources and save your baby's life. You don't have to do it alone. You can't be against police brutality and murdering unarmed black men without talking about the unarmed children killed in the womb every day. The unarmed children killed by other black people at a high rate in their own communities. And then on top of that, say that you want to abolish the police. Those are the people who deal with the criminals who kill other black people in their communities. But there's an upside to all of this. 
because God has something to say about our lives. He has a lot to say about our lives. He made all of us, and he made us in his image, and he loves us all equally. Man made race. God made ethnicities. There aren't races in the Bible, but people groups and ethnicities. The Bible states itself in Galatians 3.28, There's no male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It also says that if you show partiality, you are committing sin. James 2.9 We're wrong every single day, but we do need to forgive because God, because God gives true justice. By demonizing another race of people, that's a sin. And God does not stand for that. No matter how much the social justice gospel is preached. I promise you, these people who are out here teaching critical race theory and bullying and harassing white people because they see them as oppressors in their lives, they have a Jesus-sized hole in their heart that can only be filled by him. But God also uses evil for good. Genesis 50:20. Many have woken up to the narrative of the left and have come to realize that they're not victims, but victors in Jesus Christ. And that belief in him is the only way to restore your life and to be free. Because there's an adversary who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the true oppression that we all face. And this is not a battle of flesh and blood, but of principalities. The white man is not your enemy. The devil is. And that is a combination of John 10.10 and Ephesians 6.12. Not that I rewrote the scriptures myself, but that I kind of put them together to make a point. So, if you're someone who really honestly believes that a white person is oppressing you, I just ask that you really evaluate that and you ask yourself, why? What opportunities do you not have in America that your white neighbor has? Has your white neighbor actually done anything to you to oppress you? And why are you allowing them to oppress you? We have someone, like I just mentioned, who's running around trying to steal, kill, and destroy all of us, pitting us against each other, making us see each other's races before before we see each other's hearts, who wants division instead of peace. And by believing in critical race theory and wanting to abolish the police and all of this nonsense, you're only feeding into that. The social justice gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came, he fulfilled the law, and the prophecies and he had to die on the cross because he is the perfect sacrifice that reunites us with God but that's only if we believe that he is Lord and Savior of our lives he didn't just die for white people he didn't just die for black people he died for all people who are sinners white black Native American Hispanic we're all sinners in the eyes of God unless we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that takes our sin and makes it his own, so that we can be reunited with God. That's it. No amount of hating white people is going to bring justice to the world. It might feel good temporarily. It might feel good for your whole life. But that's not coming from a place of love, to love one person and hate another. It's not coming from a place of love to elevate one race above another. That's a problem that we had 200 years ago, and that's a problem that we had in the 50s. That's not what Martin Luther King Jr. died for. He died so that we could live in a world where people would be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And that's not what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a reverse of what happened in the 50s and what happened 200 years ago.
yes, sin occurred, and sin will continue to occur until Jesus comes and makes things right in the world. And the new heavens and the new earth are created. But it's not our responsibility to try to justify or make right those wrongs. We can't do it. And that's why we're seeing all this rioting and we're seeing all this violence and all this negative stuff. Because humans seek their own worldly form of vengeance. And what it really ends up doing is hurting everyone. Because hurt people hurt people. And I totally understand if you've ever faced racism or discrimination based on your religion or your political affiliation or you've been bullied. It's not a good feeling. But it's not up to you to deal with it in your own way. You got to give it up. You have to live free. When you're not a victim and you're not an actor in the mainstream media's narrative, it's actually a very freeing life. And when you know Jesus, everything, it just completely changes your worldview. And you're able to give it all up to him. You don't have to try and do it yourself anymore. So I just hope that you're able to find that peace that Jesus can give you and that you know that you don't have to denounce your whiteness because God made you white and he made you beautiful and he made you black and he made you beautiful. He made you Asian and he made you beautiful. How he made you is how he made you and he meant to make you that way and that's beautiful. And you don't have to denounce any of that and you don't have to be victimized by the color of your skin. We could all really join forces if we stopped feeding into the media's narrative and um, as the Reba McIntyre song says, give this world back to God. I could keep talking about it, but it just shows all the, the world is just so broken and we really just need to point, point our world back to God and look back to God for what we need to do for our guidance and for validation, honestly. Because he made us so only he can validate us. But that's all that I have to say. If you would like to follow me on social media, I'm on Telegram at it's Sienna Catherine, Gab at Sienna Catherine, and MeWe, just my name, Sienna Catherine. And if you have any ideas for what to talk about in my next podcast, please message me on any of those platforms. And thank you for listening. I will see you in my next episode.